that was where we wanted to place the biggest amount of impact was to create Beauty Kitchen as a vehicle to demonstrate what is possible to much larger organisations because they are the ones that can give the biggest impact to sustainability much quicker than Beauty Kitchen can. Welcome to Good Business Talking and I'm your host Ravi Rai. Today I'm speaking to the founding CEO of The Beauty Kitchen, Joe Chidley. The Beauty Kitchen is a multi-award winning beauty products company based in Scotland. And they're on a mission, and the mission's pretty audacious. They want to create the most sustainable beauty products in the world. A little bit about Joe, who was brought up in a small town outside of Glasgow, Scotland, during the deep recession years. And as a result, she and her friends had to make do with what they had, and learn the art of reusing and recycling everything that they had out of necessity. She went on to train as a chemist to seek out and eliminate waste, and then went on to lead global HR for the team at Avon Cosmetics. So a real patchwork of skills and experiences that have led her to creating what's now known as the Beauty Kitchen. A few things that we spoke about. One was her and her husband's decision to self-fund the business so that they could maintain control because they did not want short-term investor influence on building a business that would be a showcase for the world. A showcase to show businesses how things can be done in a sustainable way. We spoke about the difference between CSR and being purpose-led. And in her words, CSR or corporate social responsibility is generally marketing or brand-led and is single attribution. Whereas purpose-led from her perspective is multi-attribution focused. And you do it because it's the right thing to do. Whether you get PR, whether you get awards, whether you get any thanks, if it's the right thing to do, you do it. And that's what purpose-led means for her. And then we talked about if you want to change your ecosystem, you need to assimilate yourself within it. Seek out the objections and tick them off one by one. And then, only then, can you start to drive large-scale systematic change. I really love Joe's long-term view of business and the integrity that she brings to everything that she does and the decisions that she makes. So without further ado, let's get started. Um, so Joe, um, welcome to Good Business Talking. I appreciate you taking the time out to join me this morning. Hi, Ravi. It was a pleasure to be invited to have a chat with you today. It's so refreshing to hear that Scottish accent come through. <laughs> and, and Glasgow, right? Definitely Glasgow born and bred. Tell me, tell me a little bit about you. Who are you? How does this woman who has this background in talent and people come to run this super forward-looking, sustainable cosmetic company? Well, I think when you start a business, it's just all about you because you're the first one in it. And you bring a lot of yourself that goes into whatever business you've decided to create. So if I go back a step, um, I have been a beauty junkie from when it was my teenage years. We had the local body shop and you went in and the inspiration that you got to, you know, 
play around with all of the different products in that store and have fun with your friends and family and that social aspect it just gave you that confidence as a teenager mm -hmm. which is really where the beauty industry starts it's about self-confidence it's about self-esteem it's about being somebody different by doing different things then at school my interest was very much the sciences and chemistry in particular. So I then went and studied analytical chemistry at Strathclyde Uni in Glasgow. And putting those two together, I thought I wanted to be a cosmetic chemist. But actually back in the 90s, it wasn't really something that was big in the UK. You know, in France, it was much bigger. But the UK is, was still in its early stages. I mean, the biggest that you had at that stage would have been the body shop. So... I then fell into working for a water company and then I fell into HR and I was fortunate to work for some really large businesses from Nestle and Microsoft through to becoming head of HR for Avon Cosmetics. And that was really where um, my interest in starting my own business happened because the great thing about Avon is that they are a very established business. Mm -hmm. Their innovation is unbelievable of how many products they develop in any month, never mind any year. And also they had this CSR about empowering women. And I thought that was a great way of a corporate organization actually touching the everyday lives of everyday people, i.e. their customers. The other thing with Avon is it gave me a full overview of the business, which I loved. So as an HR professional, I got insight into supply chain, into customer care, into manufacturing, R&D, the works. They gave me the opportunity to see how that business worked at a very large scale. It also gave me the chance to think if I set up my own business, these are the things that I wouldn't do that I have to do at Avon, I would want to do something different. And Stuart, my husband and co-founder of Beauty Kitchen, uh, we always wanted to set up our own business. And really sustainability has been the thread throughout my own personal experience, but then also coming in as a young adult and working in a big corporate organization, I did really feel as if there was other ways to do things that could benefit not just the business, but also the people that you come into contact with and the environment that you would be impacting. I've always been a campaigner of sustainability. And where does that come from? I think that comes from my background. So I come from a little village um, called Overtown, which is about 30 minutes south of Glasgow. And the whole area was built on the steel industry and the mining industry, which was the heart of our community was ripped out when the steel industry and Thatcherism um, played a big part in that because, you know, the government at that time wanted to move the UK away from the manufacturing and the traditional big industries. But what they didn't have at that time was the infrastructure to be able to support what happened to those communities once th that industry was moved on. And we really felt that across the board, you know, with unemployment, 
with a lack of investment in the area and a lack of opportunities really so you had to fight for everything that you got but what that also did was money was tight so everything that you used everything was reused so second hand became retro and vintage you know it became you you had to make it into something that was desirable because that was really what you you had to work with but actually that created this creativity in not just myself but a lot of my friends and I think that when you're a, a teenager mm -hmm. that really sets the scene for how you go about your life as you grow up mm -hmm. and that's where although now I call it sustainability at that time I didn't you know that wasn't the word that we used mm -hmm. and that also played through in studying chemistry because chemists are all about ensuring that there is no waste and a lot of the times it might seem to the outside and other industries that that's not the case, because a lot of the times chemists are the ones that are creating potentially waste. But I think the chemists are the ones that can bring together lots of other departments and actually be really creative within sustainability. And that's why chemical engineers are the pillar of sustainability, particularly in fast moving consumer goods. Wow. What a diverse set of background experiences to take you to where you are now and, and knowing what I know about the business all of a sudden for me you've connected a whole bunch of dots but I'd love for you to share that with the audience so tell us a little bit about what the beauty kitchen is in terms of its products um who your customers or your channels are you know the size just, just a little bit yep. of context around what you're playing with so uh Stuart and I have a corporate background in the health and beauty and personal care industry we knew the beauty industry really well but we wanted to create a sustainability company so what we decided was there was a huge gap in the beauty industry within sustainability because nobody was talking about it people were starting to talk about natural and organic which is a step in the journey of sustainability but nobody was talking about the full area of sustainability i.e formulations ingredients raw materials through to packaging supply chain and sustainably how do you run your business in a sustainable way so it was early stages in 2006 we were doing things like uh, farmers markets testing things we still had our full-time jobs again as most people do when they start their own business so it was all of our other energy and time went into proving or finding our minimum viable product what is it that we, what is the gap and how can we close that gap and own that space we finally started trading in september 2014 we worked a deal with holland and barrett to launch with them leading up to christmas 2014 and really the rest is history <laughs> wow. so that was our big moment now that's eight years of hard hard grafting right so what drove you in those eight years so ultimately there is two ways to to look at business in my head there is the business that just wants to make money and there's the business that wants to make money but also look after the environment and look after people and some people talk about it as people planet profit yeah which i quite like those three little words so we didn't want to seek investment because Stuart and I wanted to have full control of Beauty Kitchen. So that meant it was definitely going to take 
longer because we didn't have big cash to put behind whether that was advertising whether that was our e-commerce site all of the things that do take hard cash to uplift your sales quickly yeah the other element was i'm a big reader and cradle to cradle is one of the you know main books and the b corp handbook and I was fascinated by the B Corp um, scenario and how that was working in the US. Ultimately, it was about how can we use this business, not just to make the business successful, but how can we share that success with the people that work for our business? And I don't just mean employees, I mean our suppliers, accountants, you know, anyone we come into contact with, but how can we definitely make a difference to the environment, both wildlife, flora and fauna and leave something that was positive rather than negative so and that makes sense now uh, i'm going to challenge you a little bit on this one if you had got an investment and if your passion is around the sustainability have you thought look if we had got an investment early doors we could have scaled and grown significantly quicker and therefore we would have been able to achieve our purpose a lot quicker as well that is a great question i love that question because we thought see if we create something that is ours and we prove that you can have a personal care cosmetics health and beauty company mm. that is um scalable commercially viable you know really profitable but it can also help the planet help the people that come into contact with that business if we can prove that business model and then go to much larger businesses whether that's manufacturers or brand owners or whether that's retailers and prove to them that it can work we can then say to them why wouldn't you want to do this because we've ticked all of those things that you want to do and that was where we wanted to place the biggest amount of impact was to create Beauty Kitchen as a vehicle to demonstrate what is possible to much larger organizations, because they are the ones that can give the biggest impact to sustainability much quicker than Beauty Kitchen can. So Beauty Kitchen, even if it did have investment, it would still take 40 years to get to the size, or if not longer, of a Unilever or a L'Oreal or a P&G. Right. You know, Lush has been around for 30 years and don't get me wrong, I mean, it's 600 million turnover that they have, they're big, but they're still small in, in the scale of a Unilever. Mm. And for sustainability to work, it has to be on a global level. So the circular economy can only work if it's scalable on a global level and it can be given to the masses. If we'd taken financial investment, it would have been a different focus for our business rather than trying to use this business as a vehicle to create change got it so and and that's a really interesting perspective because what you've just said there also really demonstrates how much we have shifted yes. as a society from just back then to where we are now because you know you go now and you look at asset managers and private equity companies that are solely focused on sustainable businesses right that do want to and because they understand it's not just the financial dividend I think yeah. it was uh, Matt Patsky at Trillium Asset Management. He now measures social dividend. Yeah. And like, okay, and, and you know, it's lovely to see how capitalism is waking up. Yeah, finally. You're going to get sustainability at a global scale much, much quicker 
then had you got an investment yeah. in growing your own business in itself? If you really want to make changes to that system, you have to assimilate from within. So you have to understand how that system works. You have to understand how that industry works. And sometimes you have to compromise and play along with how that system is working to be able to give yourself the credibility that you have a voice to make those changes. But ultimately, whatever your strategy was in the beginning, as long as you never forget that and you always come back to that, you will make that headway through, which is what we've done. So an example of that would be all of our products when we launched, excuse me, not all of them, but 90% of them were in um, plastic bottles. Okay, it was it was um, post-consumer recycled plastic, but it was still plastic bottles. That really went against the grain of everything that we do because it's not reusable. However, we knew that we would get that reusability, but we needed scale to be able to demonstrate the commercialities of how that worked. So we had to compromise, but we always knew that that would be for a certain length of time. A bit like fitness, it's never about perfection, it's about progress. Sustainability is about progress and nudging the dial. But you have to be truly determined and you have to be really clear about what you stand for. So I think there is a bit of pigheadedness. I also think that when people tell me I'm mad, I know I'm onto something good. Mm. And I also know when people say it can't be done, that's where the opportunity lies. You know, if it can't be done, that's as a scientist, you don't say that. You know, you go, really? Great. How do I work out how it can be done? What a great story. Thank you, Joe. Um, now, I would love to understand what you see as the difference between having awesome CSR, being awarded for the best company with CSR around the world versus being purpose led. What's Joe's distinction? So I think there's a few distinctions. Yeah, I think when it comes to corporate CSR, it is something that was developed and it was developed within larger companies, not smaller companies, not indie companies. Unfortunately for corporate CSR, it hasn't evolved. It's still in the 90s of where single attributes and a tick box audit, it ticks the box and it's marketing led. It's only about the marketing a lot of the times. So winning awards, for instance, so you can put it on your website to see how great you are at whatever. And I'm not saying there isn't a place for that, but the evolution and the driver for change within that department has to come from within. And that's where, you know, if we use purpose-led businesses, which generally tend to be indie businesses, so they tend to be independent, because it's not really about the awards and marketing, it's about doing the right thing. And if I don't get any PR from it, or I don't get any marketing, or I don't get anybody even thanking me for it, that doesn't matter because it's still the right thing to do. And I think that's the difference with purpose-led. I still think it needs a framework, and that's why I'm a big advocate of certifications. And we have cruelty-free certification and vegan certification. So it's not that I don't think certification doesn't have a place, but in the 21st century, it's about multi-attribute certification. It's about looking at more than one, through more than one lens. 
and B Corp certification and cradle to cradle certification for me are the two best frameworks that any business can look at. We've followed those principles from the very early days. And that's the great thing about these multi-attribute certifications. There's lots of information to give you ideas and to verify how purpose-led you are. You're right. No company is utopia. Nope. And I don't think any company will ever get to utopia if they claim they're just a bunch of liars. Yeah, and that's like zero waste. So zero waste has had a lot of media attention recently. It's not about a handful of people doing zero waste perfectly or doing sustainability perfectly. It's about millions of us doing it imperfectly and learning from each other. Tell us a little bit more about that, because I'm, I'm curious to see how you, yeah, what it means and then how you've applied that into your industry where, you know, quite frankly, you know, being a father of two, you know, we have cosmetics and I see lots of bottles going into the bin. So tell me, how, yeah. how do you take on that challenge? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you've, you've set the scene there. That is really a description of the linear economy. And another way to talk about the linear economy is cradle to grave. So you take resources from the planet, you make something, you use it, and then you waste it. And it goes generally into landfill. And that's really the linear economy. What the circular economy is, it's a cradle to cradle model. So it means that any of the ingredients or resources that you use are from renewable resources. So that might be the plants, and ingredients that we use in our formulations, for example. And that's the biological cycle, which stays in a renewable resource loop. But you then have to put those ingredients, generally speaking, they have to go into packaging, not always, but generally. And that packaging would be the technical cycle. So you create packaging that can be reused and it can be washed and reused again and again and again and again. Right. And that's the technical cycle of the cradle to cradle movement. It means that the resources that you are using will stay out of landfill or incineration or anything else. Um, <clears throat> so, so we use, you know, plant extracts, we use um, essential oils. We now package them in reusable packaging and we use a program called Return, Refill, Repeat, which is like the Milkman model. And everybody will have seen this where the Milkman delivers bottles, glass bottles to your door. You use the milk, you put the empties outside, the milkman takes them back, collects them, washes them, refills them and gives you them back. It is the same principle. We are just doing that for personal care. And we do that using glass and we do it using aluminium, and soon we will be using stainless steel, which is the ultimate in, in packaging. The reason why we use those particular um, materials is the reuse and how many times they can be washed and reused. For glass is almost infinite. Aluminium tends to get dented, and that's why we want to move to stainless steel. Mm. But the Return Refill Repeat program gives not just Beauty Kitchen, but other brands the opportunity to, to access reusable packaging for the personal care industry. And our most recent partner that, that has launched with Return Refill Repeat is Unilever, and that happened back in October. And this is one of the demonstrations of a large global, you know, huge personal care um, business who is considering more sustainable ways 
of getting the products to market. One of the things you just said to me uh, took me back to India. So obviously I'm from Indian origin, right? And yeah. uh, so, you know, in the major cities, <clears throat> there used to be, and there still is, but a much smaller scale, this infrastructure of the tiffin wallers. Uh, tiffin yeah. wallers where, you know, yeah. people cook their food at home, they put yeah. it into these stainless steel tins, right? And I'm just for the audience. And then these people would carry them <laughs> into all these different hubs and somehow it gets to your office space. Yeah. And then it gets returned back home. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but obviously India, developing country, not a lot of money, you know, very few fast food outlets, if you go back in history. However, now progress, and I'll say that in quotes, progress is we have the big fast food outlets in the country. And guess yeah. what's happening? That's what you've got waste problems, you've got obesity problems, you've got different ones no longer need the services. Yet here we are in the Western world, kind of going back <laughs> to what India has had for centuries and have lost in the last decade, which is a real shame, but I'm, and I am hope they'll, they'll go back there at some point very, very soon. I'm really glad you said that. So at the moment in the UK, people have forgotten. It's like climbing through mud sometimes because we've forgotten what it's about. In India, they haven't forgotten that yet. And actually some of the big companies like Unilever, for instance, are starting to understand that that consumer behavior, if they can get in there at the right time, yeah. then they're not trying to go back to the future. They can actually tack it in. And when you've got a billion people, you know, to, to service, you've definitely got the scalability there. Oh, I'm, I'm just excited about what that could do for you guys and for the country. Superb. Let's get back to the whole Unilever story. You know, and also I understand not just Unilever, you know, you're now collaborating also with uh, L'Oreal. So how does this small, be it beautifully forming, uh, sustainable cosmetic business in Glasgow yeah. go and work with the Goliaths of Unilever and L'Oreal and for what intention? We were really fortunate that William McDonough, who's one of the founding fathers and one of the co-writers of the Cradle to Cradle uh, book, has become a mentor of our business. And Bill introduced us to um, the VP of Sustainability at, at L'Oreal to say, why don't you have a chat with Beauty Kitchen? Because they are really pushing the boundaries, mm -hmm. you know, just to give L'Oreal some ideas and I suppose some support because as a large, big business, it's really risky for them to make changes. I get that, yeah? For a small business, we can fail fast and fail cheaply. For a large business, that's not the case. You fail really slowly and you fail really expensively. We've been able to demonstrate as an indie brand that this is what customers want. They just need access to it. So if anyone goes down any supermarket, for instance, or any beauty store, if you go down the personal care aisle, you just have a plethora of plastic packaging. You don't have any alternatives. So as a consumer, you have to buy something from there. But what we've actually done is we've proved that people will be more loyal to your brand. And we have the data for this. And they will actually switch to your brand if you give them an, a reusable alternative. And that's what the big guys want to hear. They want to hear the data and they want to de-risk the changes. And the data that we've had from ASDA and from Unilever has demonstrated that if we take Perzil, for example, mm -hmm. that the Perzil aisle and the sales in the normal plastic bottles, those sales didn't go down. 
And the Persil in the reusable bottle went up by something like 660%. So that shows that there must be people that are still buying their Persil in the plastic bottle Mm. and you're converting people to Persil because of the reusable bottle. Got it. Well, that's compelling. You also fund 2% of your revenue to charitable or foundations and you very uh distinguishedly say it's not two percent of profit it's two percent of revenue why did you make that distinction yeah um another great question so when you are a startup business for instance a lot of the times you don't even make profit you 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 generally make a loss although beauty kitchen thankfully we've never made a loss we've always made a profit but because we invest a lot of our money back into R&D because we're a very innovative company, our profits have been relatively small. Whereas if we say it's 2% of sales, then the actual charitable companies, so the charities and the foundations that we support, they know exactly what that is going to be because they're running a business as well. Okay, it's a non-profit making organization, but they need to know what their incoming is so that they can plan for what their outgoings are going to be and what support. And doing that through a profit measure just doesn't work for them. And for me, potentially as a business, you know, you could not make a lot of profit and not necessarily give what you really should be giving to the charities and foundations. I just think it's much clearer to do it on sales. Mm. And it's part of B Corp as well, certification. So, you know, there's a, there's different scoring systems within the B Corp certs. And, and one of them is what do you donate to charities? And, you know, we donate 2% or above, which gives us a higher score. But it's also the right thing to do. Understood. Seems to be very active around campaigning and lobbying and working with governments, whether it's around microbead usage in plastics or zero waste Scotland. And, you know, later this year, we've got the big COP26, right, coming to the city. Um, So what role are you playing there for the kind of climate summit um, later this year in Glasgow? So I'm currently a circular economy ambassador for Glasgow Chamber of Commerce and also playing a part with uh, B Corp in being part of their working group and then also Cradle to Cradle Institute and being part of their stakeholder group. Any way that I can amplify, and I don't mean I, I mean Beauty Kitchen, how we can amplify that message of how important climate change and the climate emergency is to everyone on this planet. And I think it's about giving your time and your support to to um, a conference that, you know, can change people's lives for the future. That's a lot of your time and your team's time that goes away from running, issue resolving, growing the beauty kitchen business. Tell me, how do you manage that tension? So I think I think it is it's attention that happens every day. And you know, there is only so many hours in the day and you have to prioritize. But culturally, as a business, everyone at Beauty Kitchen is an advocate. Everyone that joins our business, they join because of what Beauty Kitchen stands for and the work that they can do to contribute to that. 
I'm not a, I'm not a particularly spiritual person, but I do believe in karma. And I do believe that, you know, if you are giving out advocacy and that positive vibe, if you like, you attract that those laws of attraction, even if it's not very scientific, still seem to work. So I do think advocacy, if you give something to someone, generally people will want to give you something back. And I'm a big believer in that. And everyone in our business fits that mold. So here's a newsflash for my listeners. Here we have a scientist, chemist, <laughs> talking about karma. <laughs> I, lo- I love the oxymoron. <laughs> um, so just another theme that kind of goes on to, you know, managing tension. What's the hardest part of having run Beauty Kitchen? Or what has gone wrong? Or just badly in you pursuing your purpose because I'd, I'd, I'd really like the, le- the listeners to understand this is not all plain sailing there's got to have been some pretty big roadblocks and hiccups along the way yeah I mean you know it's every day I, I mean there's always the dark days that you have one example would be we were launching a vegan uh, lip balm and we manufactured 12,000 lip balms and they melted they wouldn't stay solid. At first, we didn't know that. Um, and we'd sent them out to store and we had to recall them. So that is one example of something that doesn't happen every day, but it's happened through our journey. There's a variety of different things. Konjac sponges that arrived that had, you know, dissolved into water, right. you know, thousands of them. Mm. So, so there's those operational things that, you know, just happen and however much you plan and prep, sometimes things just take that course. The other side of challenges is trying to get across to retailers how important it was to to list a purpose-led business. We're getting a bit more traction now because B Corp has played a part in that Mm -hmm. because there's many more larger B Corp businesses like Innocent Smoothies or Pippin Nuts for example, but that's that's been a frustration, I think, more than anything else. You know, it, it's it's really hard when you when you think, you know, I'm right, <laughs> but you're not allowed to say that. <laughs> you have to be really collaborative and, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I can imagine the tension that you have because being so purpose-led, yet then also knowing the other side of your brain, what it takes for change to happen. And so, you know, if you were sitting across the table with a CEO, you know, who isn't necessarily a convert, what practical tips would you give that CEO? I do get the opportunity to speak to very senior people, including CEOs um, of retailers and, and manufacturers. I'm a big believer in planning and preparation. So you have your almost your three minute Generally, sometimes it is your one minute elevator pitch to that person. And there's a a raft of generally three months worth of work to be able to get to that one minute. It's almost like Britain's got talent. (laughs) The CEOs are up there with with Simon Cowell and I'm on the stage with my Glaswegian accent and I've got a minute to stop them from going, eh, eh. So I have to do my planning and prep. What is it that they want to hear? 
that I can be the bridge between what I'm trying to do and achieve and what is it that will flick that switch with them. And it can, it'll be different for different organizations. Sure. So, so are there any particular levers that you can advise that person that will really get some mass change happening, even that might just be one or two things that they do differently as an organization that has a big mass market um, under them? The way that we do it is through innovation and it's through proving that model that is scalable and commercially viable, because generally any large businesses at the moment are still running their business as a linear business. So they haven't entered into the circular economy because that takes a lot of time and you know a lot of decisions from people internally so there's a lot of bureaucracy you have to show a way and that's what we do of how do i bridge the gap between what is the right thing for them to do and where they currently are and if you can hit all of those buttons scalability commerciality and innovation you've basically got all of the big businesses because the question for them then is why wouldn't they mm, that's some very good sage business advice align your goals yeah that's a great way of putting it i wish i'd said that <laughs> but that's true it's you have to align i have my objectives but other people are not necessarily interested in my objectives. I need to understand what their objectives are and then align how can they, how can I help them do that? So for instance, when COVID hit, all the government agencies were looking for people that could manufacture hand sanitizers. Mm -hmm. So the Scottish government came to us and said, can you move your production and create 50,000 hand sanitizers and can you do it in four weeks? And we said, yeah, we definitely can, but we're doing it without microplastics in the formulations and um, in reusable bottles. And they had never done reusable bottles before for the NHS or frontline staff. There's now a major project that's happening in one of the council areas within Scotland to have reusable bottles as part of that NHS routine, not just for hand sanitizers, but for other things that are used on a regular basis. Oh, that's amazing. Because I'll tell you what, every time I go into a hospital, the amount of waste is insane. Joe, a um, couple of questions to close out. So if I was a CEO uh, with a inner belief that, you know, my business can and should do something more meaningful, what advice would you give me that would help me just get going? So I think you need to know what your passion is as an individual and you need to know what the passion is within your organization so the people that work in that organization because if you as an individual have a passion let's say for sustainability but everyone in your organization has a passion for community-led projects you have to go with the community-led projects unfortunately and maybe find a way to get your passion for sustainability in there because people make organizations and although you might be the CEO or the most senior person within that company, yet your passion can help drive that culture, but the team that you're working with has to be the ones that amplify that initial message. But passion, you have to, because it's not going to be the easy road 
it is going to be the challenging road. So you have to have a passion for it or you'll just get bored and check out. Mm. Um, now, where can I send my listeners to learn a little bit more about you, Joe? Do you have like a Twitter feed or a LinkedIn? Yeah, so all of the social channels are at Beauty Kitchen or at Return, Refill, Repeat. And then personally, I'm the only Joe Chidley on LinkedIn. Fantastic. <laughs> now, Joe, I uh, ask all my guests to finish off three sentences for me. So when I say dot, 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 just fill it in with words. Okay. So. In the context of capitalism, I like. Conscious capitalism. What does that mean? It means that you understand what your pound is worth and you make conscious decisions of how to spend that in whatever way. Okay, so again, in the perspective of capitalism, I wish. Everyone designed their products with cradle to cradle in mind. Okay, finally, again, in the concept of capitalism, I wonder. What the world would be like if we were all in a circular economy. Beautiful. Joe, it's kind of a great place to close it out. So thank you again for taking the time. No, thank you for having me. Wow. There was so much to take from Joe and what she believes in and how that's lived through the business. By sticking to her principles of a circular economy, she's now collaborating with the likes of Unilever and L'Oreal to make the big systematic shifts in how business gets done. A few of my favorite bits from what she said. Number one, you're going to need to make some compromises in the short term, but they're gonna be temporary, so you can fill on your longer term ambition. So make sure your goals align with your customers, but also stick to what you think needs to be done and just do it by stealth. Give it away for free. Two, to talk about the importance of passion in yourself and your team. She said it's going to be a challenging road. It took them eight years of innovation, testing, capacity building, to shift from working in farmers' markets to getting a national distribution. So passion drives resilience and commitment. And finally, she said, it's all about nudging the dial and never deviating from what you stand for. In other words, it's better that we have millions of imperfect consumers who are getting better than to have a few perfect ones. I'll be talking to more CEOs about what drives them and how they run their businesses as a force for good. If you found any value in this episode, please do share. The best form of marketing is referrals. So even if you share this episode with one other person, you're helping me fulfill my purpose around showing the world that businesses are and can be a force for good. And for that, I will, as always, forever be grateful. So until next time, take care of yourself and those that you lead. This was hosted by Ravi Rai. You can connect with Ravi on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Ravi FPC. This series is sponsored by Four Points Consulting. We make change happen with conscience and with purpose.
check us out at www.fourpoints.net. That's www.fourpoints.net.